Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the latest Irish Illustrated Insider Recruiting Extra. Pete Sampson joined by Kevin Sinclair as always. And Notre Dame coming off a massive recruiting weekend during the Georgia game, uh, 2019 losses. If, if you've covered Notre Dame recruiting for a while, you know that the outcome of the games don't necessarily impact the uh, outcome of the recruiting weekends. And it does feel like Notre Dame made some progress with a bunch of key targets, uh, no commitments yet. And we talked about that on our last podcast that Notre Dame wasn't expecting commitments to come in immediately. That's it's turned out to be that way. And, um, I think before we get into some of the guys who visited, you know, maybe a, a guy who didn't like Jamari Salyer, who had to scratch the last minute for a family emergency, I thought one of the, if there was sort of an interesting side angle to the recruiting weekend, Kevin, I thought that was the guys that Notre Dame had come back. Uh, Justin Tuck spoke at the pep rally. Tim Brown was here. They were sort of hanging around the recruiting lounge a little bit. And I think for, for some of the prospects that made an impact, and I think it definitely made an impact on the dads who have maybe sort of seen those guys play in the league and at Notre Dame. And you sort of connected with Jack Lamb a little bit about that, which was, I think, a really interesting story. What what was sort of the Justin Tuck connection there with Jack Lamb and sort of his, that impact on the weekend for him? Yeah, it was a neat, um, neat note. I spoke with um, Jack last night, sort of late last night, told me that, um, you know, basically his parents are from New Jersey. So um, the Lamb household is very much a New York Giants household. It's been a big Giants fan. He was speaking with me about Michael Strahan and, um, you know, Justin Tuck sort of, I guess it was sort of passing of the torch between those two, um, Tuck kind of coming in at the end of Strahan's career. Um, so he's, you know, obviously just a lifelong huge Giants fan. And Justin Tucks, you know, it sounded like was pretty much his favorite player, told me he has one of those giant fathead Justin Tucks stickers on his wall and has had that back there for seven years, he said. And uh, so he was there and, um, he, you know, he saw Justin Tuck. He had no idea he was going to be there. Um, and he was like, oh, my God. And, you know, he was, it seemed like he was too nervous to speak with him. But his dad approached Justin Tuck and was sort of, hey, my son's had your fathead sticker on his wall for <laughs> all these years. And he was a little bit embarrassed about that. But then they got to talking. It sounded like Justin Tuck sort of was already aware of who Jack Lamb was. And, and um, he told, you know, was trying to kind of persuade him into wearing his number, 44. He was talking like, you know, Jack, four letters, Lamb, four letters, 44, makes sense. You know, I don't know if anyone has it, but if you have any problems, you know, sort of let me know and I'll talk to the staff and make it happen for you. And, you know, just this just really cool story behind that. I'll, I'll get into that more. I'll be writing uh, sort of a piece on that soon. But, you know, th- that, you know, goes to uh, just sort of prove your point, how important it was to have those guys. And, you know, kind of the, the real top names, the ones sort of the first three, if you sort of take Montana, I guess, out of the equation, talk Tim Brown and Jerome Bettis. I mean, those are the guys 
that you would want to be there speaking with your recruits um, on a big weekend like that if you're a Notre Dame coach. Um, you know, also, you know, Julius Irvin, um, I spoke with his father, Leroy Irvin, uh, former NFL All-Pro with the, uh, the Rams, L.A. Rams. Um, you know, he told me that Tim Brown spoke with his son one on one and that that made it, you know, a big impact. That was one of the first things he really mentioned to me when I asked him how the weekend went. Um, Chase Coda, obviously, sort of um, on the weekend tweeted that, you know, is saying that he just finished having one on one conversations with Justin Tuck, Tim Brown and Jerome Bettis is, you know, clearly speaking about that as a, you know, a very awe, awe like moment. Um, so, yeah, definitely huge. And then, of course, you know, um, Todd lights on staff there and, you know, he sort of got it done at every level. So, yeah, I think that that, that was a huge thing. It wasn't something I, um, you know, knew was going to happen. I, I didn't realize that all three were going to be there. And um, I think that, that those made huge impacts. Yeah. I was, I was talking to uh, Derek Allen senior about that. Cause they've sort of got a photo with Tuck in the recruiting lounge. And uh, yeah, Allen's dad said, you know, we, the quote was great guy gave Derek some great perspective on what Notre Dame means on and off the field. And that's really all you can hope for. I think if you're Notre Dame is one, you've got the sort of celebrity wow factor of these guys, but also guys who have sort of made it outside of football as well. Tuck in particular, I mean, he's going to business school, I believe at Warden, uh, you know, blog for the New York times, uh, a lot of endorsements just as sort of has the whole package happening. Um, and really one of the most impressive, <laughs> what can Notre Dame do for you type stories that I've covered here in 17 years. Cause I remember talking to him in 2001 when he was a redshirt freshman out of Alabama and just did not have a whole lot to say it was a bad interview. Um, not that he was obstinate about it, but just there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot happening. He didn't uh, have a whole lot to say for himself and to see his personality come out and grow from where he was when he showed up to where he is now is is really, really impressive. So that, that was kind of an interesting sidebar to the whole recruiting weekend that um, was a bit of a surprise for me too. But uh, sort of getting into the, the most important stories from the Georgia weekend in terms of visitors who came in, probably a good segue into the Five Guys segment. I'll, Kevin, I'll let you lead it off first. What was I get the most interesting recruiting angle just in terms of the horse race aspect of it uh, that came out of the weekend for you? Yeah, certainly for me, um, my first guy, Julius Irvin, safety out of Anaheim, California, uh, Servite program, Notre Dame knows well. Six foot two, 182 pounds, uh, rated uh, 222 overall, um, number 19 uh, safety in, in the country. Um, so he has a top five of Washington, Michigan, USC, Notre Dame, and Utah. Um, and going into the weekend, um, I spoke with his father, Leroy, who I mentioned earlier, uh, former All-Pro cornerback, um, said Notre Dame was certainly, um, you know, either in fourth or fifth out of that top five going into the visit. Um, also, an interesting thing there is he told me that uh, Julius was wanting to commit, um, you know, before taking all these uh, official visits and didn't look like he was really going to take any official visits at all. But his father really, um, really preached to him about taking visits, um, kept on using the quote sort of, uh, you don't buy a car before test driving it. So he kept on um, saying that he had some neat analogies for the recruitment. But anyways, um, the reason why this one was so interesting was because of uh, his position fit. And it sounds like Julius actually is really wanting to play cornerback or at least get a really good shot at playing cornerback in college. And um, as much so that, um, you know, a few schools, including Cal, 
Um, basically, we're telling them that, you know, we're not interested in your cornerback only at safety. That's, you know, how we're going to roll with you. And and he just cut them from his list. So this is a situation where he, he you know, it's sort of a deal breaker. Like he really wants, a, you know, a, a fair shake at cornerback. And they're looking at the cornerback, him and his father are looking at the cornerback sort of depth chart situations at each school. Um, they feel that at Notre Dame, his father just kept sort of saying that, um, Notre Dame sort of has the perfect storm for them in that situation. They feel that, you know, Nick Watkins is leaving uh, after this year and that, you know, he could come and compete for that job. Um, of course, you know, we sort of know that Notre Dame ha- actually has pretty good wealth of talent there. Of course, they missed on cornerback in 2017, um, but three solid, really solid cornerbacks who, you know, sort of proven they can play. Um, you know, Troy Pride, Dante Vaughn, and Julian Love, uh, Sean Crawford there with, um, you know, eligibility remaining. And um, so, you know, how, what Notre Dame stance really is um, with Julius Irvin uh, you know, getting a shot at cornerback, not completely sure there, but uh, it sounds like, you know, uh, Leroy Irvin has a sort of a past relationship with Todd Light. They're both former all pros uh, cornerbacks exactly as well. Um, said he just had a ton of um, respect for him, and he met with Mike Elko while he was there. They um, feel confident about the defense. They felt really confident about Notre Dame. Education is another big thing. Looks like Julius will probably study business, um, you know, in universities. So that obviously bodes well for Notre Dame. Definitely said that Notre Dame is, you know, definitely pumped, like popped up to the top two uh, in this race. Talked about the depth situations uh, at Washington and at USC at cornerback um, said Washington has a true freshman starting on one side, a redshirt freshman starting on the other. And they feel like that, you know, Julius could be, you know, a backup for you know a considerable amount of time or, you know, not, not slotted as a starter. Um, so the, like really hard talk about playing cornerback and about playing cornerback early. So um, that's all interesting. Of course, six foot two cornerbacks are worth their weight in gold these days. Maybe Notre Dame, you know, really, are, are looking at him at that position, um, whether it's a situation where they just want to get him and then, you know, work him into yeah. safe safety and, and, and see where he goes long-term is going to be really interesting. They definitely know that he may have to play some safety, um, you know, as an underclassman, and but, you know, his goal's corner. So really interesting. Notre Dame's sort of in the top two there. Um, he's going to visit Michigan and USC. Utah scratched um, from his visit list. They're in the top five, so I imagine they're scratched altogether. Um, going to be interesting to watch this one. Yeah, because with the cornerback depth chart, I mean, Nick Watkins could come back for a fifth year next year. Right. But if Urban's going to come in and play safety somewhere, you know, where he could get in the rotation early on, if he moved a corner, let's say, going into a sophomore year, uh, at that point, Watkins definitely would be gone. Uh, Crawford has had a history of injuries. So it seems to be bouncing back okay, but you never know. And then that just leaves you sort of love, pride, and Vaughn. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, Notre Dame is sort of getting in the habit now of playing four corners. So it's like he could come in, play safety, or maybe sort of be a combination player for his freshman year, but then be in a rotation his sophomore year and certainly – be in line to start his junior and senior year because Notre Dame won't have any corners at that point. He'd never come off the field. Um, speaking of corners, I'll go with uh, Kalen Gervin as my first guy in our five guys segment out of Detroit. Cast Tech took an unofficial visit for the Georgia game. We'll back, be back for an official for the USC game. And, you know, 
I think we mentioned this on our last podcast. I, I have a difficult time getting a read on this commitment because he mentioned so many different schools in the summer at the opening. He was talking more about Louisville. I believe West Virginia was mentioned. At that point, I thought Notre Dame was just sort of dead in the water because those are academic opposites of what Notre Dame is about. But you know, now to come back up this weekend, to be coming back for USC, it goes back to the playing time issue that is so appealing to Julius Irvin. Notre Dame didn't sign a cornerback last year, doesn't have one committed this year. It's a, it's a depth chart that's completely wide open, and at some point you're going to get a higher-level prospect who jumps and says, I'll, I'll bite on that because I know it can come in and play right away. But, I mean, Kevin, you've sort of been looking at Gervin from the sort of outside-the-bubble perspective when you look at some of the other schools. He's looking at Virginia Tech was mentioned heavily. Oklahoma's mentioned now. They already have a pretty good mix of cornerbacks in their recruiting class. Yeah, they do. I, you know, I looked at all of the, the schools that he's been mentioning. Um, Virginia Tech's the school he always mentions first when I speak with him. I, whether you, know, I, you want to read too much into that, I'm not sure. But they already have three cornerbacks committed. And, um, you know, Michigan State, Oklahoma, Oregon, all those programs already have two cornerbacks committed. Some of them um, have a lot of commitments in general and don't have a lot of scholarship space at all. So, you know, yeah, sort of deciphering and sifting through which which of these schools were actually, you know, serious about him um, take and which ones he's serious about. Uh, I know he's visiting Oklahoma this week, and I'm pretty sure he's doing that because he spoke with Alan True after, said he didn't have visits lined up. So everything to do with sort of following this guy's recruitment has been tricky. Um, but, I, you know, I touched, touched base with his mother on Monday morning. She definitely had really great things to say about Notre Dame. Um, the academic thing as well is sort of interesting, like you were saying, Pete, in terms of um, you know, there's sort of some talk there that maybe he was nervous about the academics at Notre Dame or if he was going to cut it. But we're talking about a guy who's graduating early and going to be an early enrollee. So he's certainly doing well academically in high school. So um, just some, you know, I guess sort of curveball situations when you're trying to assess his, uh, you know, recruitment. But I feel like he's, you know, certainly, certainly considering Notre Dame and they have a good shot in that early playing time um, could be like, you know, the key role in this. Yeah, who, so who did you want to go for your second guy this week? Right, Chase Coda, wide receiver out of Oregon, um, you know, out of South Medford High School, six foot three and a half, 195, number 37 overall, number eight wide receiver in the country. Uh, this guy, opening finalist, um, you know, an All-American, um, offers from Oregon, UCLA, Notre Dame, USC, and Cal are the ones that are sort of sticking out for him. Um, of course, the you know, the main sort of topic with Chase Coda is, you know, Oregon and whether he will go to Oregon or whether he's sort of looking out of state and seriously considering schools out of state. Um, Of course, from Oregon, his father went to Oregon, his cousin starts at safety. Um, You know, he's really, you know, close with a lot of their current commitments. Um, A few other players um, that are looking at going to Oregon, he's close with. Uh, Braden Lindsay's going to Oregon now. Um, you know, of course, it's hard to see him not going there. But after speaking with quite a few sources um, after, you know, his official visit, the kind of message I got from everyone was sort of, you know, Chase Coda is considering Notre Dame. No, really, he is. So, you know, it wasn't, it was just, <laughs> you know, because I, I just have a hard time sort of buying into it. But from what I understand, his parents were very, very comfortable during the visit. And it sounds like he just meshed extremely well with the, the current commits that were there. Uh, Phil Dracovic and George Takis, Micah Jones. 
Um, you know, Jack Lamb sounds like it just went really, really well. But we're also talking about a kid who's a very, very West Coast kid. Um, we all talk about sort of the surfer guy persona and how that would sort of fit in in Indiana. Um, but it sounds like, you know, he's very much considering Notre Dame. We're talking about a high academic kid. He has an offer from Dartmouth. Um, Notre Dame's, you know, it's this one in my in uh, my opinion is no longer a long shot. Like it's it's you know, he's seriously considering Notre Dame. I think that um, going into the official visit, the pool of schools he's looking at that aren't named Oregon would have been UCLA, Notre Dame and USC, Cal sort of on the outside. I believe UCLA was, you know, the top in that pool. I think Notre Dame could possibly be the top school out of state for him now. I think it's possible. Um, so still, you know, more to develop there. I, I do feel like in the end you'll end up at Oregon. But like I said, not a long shot anymore. And I think that that's important. And speaking with, um, you know, the alumnus while he was there, Tim Brown, Justin Tuck, Jerome Bettis, that obviously had a big uh, impact on him. Obviously, his, uh, his father also knows Brian Polian, and there's a good connection there as well, and that could also be important. Yeah, I would, I'll stay at receiver for my uh, the fourth of our five guys this week uh, with Gordon Porter out of California. He was We told you this on the podcast last week, that the vibe around Notre Dame's recruiting office is that their interest in Porter was big-time stock up, that he was kind of one of those kids having a great senior year and where he was maybe a next-level guy in March and April, now he's going to be more of a primary guy. I think that's sort of happened now, uh, where he's a guy that they would love to grab now opposed to waiting, especially with Kevin Austin and Micah Jones already on board. So I I think the visit went very well from everything I can gather. Kevin, it sounds like you feel the same way talking to Porter and his, you know being in touch with his dad, again, connected with... Tim Brown, Jerome Bettis, all those guys uh, in the recruiting lounge on Saturday. I, and this is one where you sort of you, you sort of look up and look around at the other schools involved, and I, I'm not sure I see who's going to challenge Notre Dame. Uh, you know, I don't think they're going to lose him to Arizona State. Uh, UCLA has a lot of receivers on board. It just seems like a recruitment that's trending very hard in Notre Dame's favor um, in one that – if you want to go into the, the crystal ball world, I would, <laughs> I would make my pick for Notre Dame with Gordon Porter at this point with uh, the way last weekend went and uh, how his recruiting picture is sort of developing. I, I like Notre Dame's position there a lot. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think that that visit went um, the best out of all, all the visits that we're speaking about here. Uh, my last guy, Eric McDuffie. So it, this is a, a new name for us. Um, weak side defensive end out of Louisville, Kentucky, uh, goes to a really strong program there in Trinity. Um, this guy basically is a late, a late riser. He's just sort of put on like 30 pounds over the last year. Um, really uh, interesting uh, guy, really uh, explosive off the ball. Um, this uh, Trinity that he plays for, is a, uh, they play a lot of out-of-state programs. And so far this year, they played uh, Archbishop Moeller out of Ohio, um, big-time program. They also played Warren Central out of Indianapolis. And in that game, he racked up five sacks in a 42-41 win. Um, check out his film on Huddle, a very impressive kid. Um, so the, sort of that tall, long, uh, explosive, weak-side defensive end Notre Dame's looking for. Um, you know, with 247 composite, he's ranked uh, around in the 600s, um, you know, when 
you know, about six months ago, just sort of had two really sort of low offers, but just in the last few months, gaining a few more offers. Um, he actually visited Ohio State on the weekend. Um, I got in touch with him, told me that uh, he's been speaking with Mike Elston, um, working on getting uh, to, to campus for a visit uh, for a home game sooner than later. Obviously, Notre Dame has two road games coming up, so we'll, we'll see when that sort of shapes up. Told me that um, Michigan, Kentucky, Louisville, Oklahoma, Purdue, uh, and a few other schools are consistently in touch with them. Um, yeah, kid that definitely knows his Notre Dame football. It was a lot of kids speak to me about Rudy, of course, right away, but he was talking to me about the Gipper. And he was, uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty good. And, uh, you know, his dad played um, quarterback at Louisville. He mentioned quite a bit to me about his family. Sounds like he comes from a, you know, really supportive uh, family. Told me he's, um, you know, interested in forensic science. Um, just sort of all of these things that really made sense for what Notre Dame looks for uh, in a prospect. Um, so I'm really interested to see how this one develops. And we haven't really had like sort of a, you know, a new name pop up on the board sort of since I guess maybe uh, in Chris Murray, the guard that they offered. And I think that was at least about six weeks ago. Um, so interesting to see a new name on the board, obviously a weak side defensive end, Joseph, uh, sorry, Jason Oa, um, you know, not looking, definitely looking like a very long shot there. Uh, Joseph Osai sort of, you know, Texas A&M, uh, Notre Dame battle going there. If he goes, uh, to the Texas A&M way, uh, where does Notre Dame go at weak side defensive end? Could be this kid. So check him out. Eric McDuffie, spelled A-R-A-K. McDuffie, definitely an Irish last name. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, you make the, the the good point there is if you're out on Jason Oa, which it seems like they probably all but are, and mm-hmm. Joseph Osai is a long shot, you can't just leave the position open. Um, you need right. to you need to find the next uh, Kofi Wardlow, the next... Um, you know, Bo Wallace was a guy they got that didn't really pan out. Colin Hill, same way. But, I mean, hey, if you, if we want to go back to all the way where we started, it's not like Justin Tuck was a big name. He was a tall, lanky kid out of Alabama coming out of high school. So you got to find body types like that and hope they work out uh, every so often. So maybe that's maybe that's the next guy. I'll be curious to see how that shakes out. So that's it for this week's Irish Illustrated Insider Recruiting Extra podcast. We'll be back next week. I would expect we'll be talking more about sort of coaches on the road, maybe a new target or two. doesn't seem like a commitment is imminent at this point, but uh, it does feel like Notre Dame pushed the ball forward quite a bit over the weekend to stay in contention with some good defensive backs and maybe some wide receivers as, a, as well. So until next week, he's Kevin Sinclair. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for listening to our latest Irish Illustrated Insider Recruiting Extra. We will talk to you next week.